All right, if you got a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We have been working our way uh, through this uh, letter by Paul to the church at Corinth here. And we know that uh, Paul was writing this letter. Um, and you see in this, he is uh, correcting, rebuking, but he's also encouraging. Uh, and so we see a lot of Paul, Paul's personality come out in this. Um, the church here at Corinth was obviously a church that was in distress. And uh, Paul had originally was the person or the pastor who planted the church in the midst of Corinth, the city of Corinth, which was extremely liberal, extremely fleshly, extremely worldly. Um, and I said it before, the statement that they would say is live like a Corinthian, right? They had, they had a lot of temples. They had a lot of uh, religious type uh, areas and stuff. And so people just mixed in a lot of different things and they were into a lot of worldly and fleshly pleasures. Well, in the midst of that, Paul on his missionary journey planted a church and the church at Corinth, but then the Corinth began to be at the church. And so they brought all those issues and some of those uh, fleshly desires and all that stuff into the church, which started to break down a little bit. But rather than uh, receiving instruction and correction as, as new believers or young believers, they begin to question things. They begin to question Paul. They begin to question the teachings of the Bible. They begin to question um, what Paul and them have taught, which also led to divisions. They would say, well, Paul was okay, but Apollo says this, and Cephas said that, and they were, they were really mixing in all these different beliefs, and they were trying to sort out in their minds what, it was, what was true and what was not true, which left Paul in the middle of it. And Paul was kind of like the expert, so to speak, that's being criticized by the amateur. Like, you ever had that happen to you uh, in life? You know, you, you know that you know something very, very well. And yet someone who comes along uh, who does not have a lot of experience and you know they do not know what they're talking about, but they begin to criticize or they begin to judge you for how you're doing something. Uh, this happens a lot when, uh, you know, you have teenagers in the home, right? Anybody have any teenagers or been through teenagers before? Uh, they know everything and have done everything. That's why I always tell my boys, you better hurry up and get married and get out in the real world and make a lot of money because you got it all figured out. But we know it's, it's illogical. They do not know everything, and we know by experience, and we know by what, what, we, what we have experienced in our life that they are making false arguments. They are making uh, false accusations. Well, Paul spiritually was going through the same thing. They were accusing Paul of all sorts of things. So Paul begins to uh, defend himself and defend the gospel. And then he's going to give them some pastoral uh, uh, correction starting in chapter 5. But before he gets there, in chapter 4, he drives home the point that you are criticizing and you are being unjustly judgmental about Christianity and my teachings. And so I want to read chapter 4, and then I'm going to go back and break it down and uh, look at it verse by verse and try to make some sense of it. So chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light and the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one another, uh, on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us as the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a special, I mean, a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled. We bless, being persecuted. We endure, being defamed. We entreat what we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and my faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church." Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love or in a spirit of gentleness? Three questions, right? So I, I, I'm reading this letter. It's kind, of, it's kind of great to see Paul's personality and a little bit of fire coming from Paul, right? And he begins his reasoning the same way we would begin any reasoning that we, that as we are judged or criticized in the things of God. Paul begins by setting the standard. He says, let a man so consider us. So he said, how should you judge a leader? How should you judge a pastor? How should you judge someone who is a mature Christian? He said there are two things that he says that you should look to in a mature Christian. One is they are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So, so first, he says, first and foremost, you are servants of Christ. So any true leader or any true uh, pastor or leader or church leader or uh, mature Christian who is going to lead other Christians, they first and foremost must be a servant. If you're not a servant, then Paul is saying, consider these things as servants. And I know as you have experienced Christianity, and I have experienced this as well, 
sometimes uh, the closer people get to the Lord or the close, more knowledge they get from the Bible, the more uh, you know, uh, information they think they have, the more puffed up they become, the less serving they become. They begin to talk down to other people and condescend to other people. Like here, here, there's a difference between a Christian and a leader or a pastor. Like that is your job. That's not my job. I'm not a servant. I'm not one who is a servant of Christ. Paul says, listen, base, uh, base one, first and foremost, you judge somebody if they're a servant of Christ. If you are too big to do little things for God, then you're too big. All right. You're too big. If you ever get to the point where you feel like you are above doing the Christian duty of serving Jesus Christ, then you're too far above. If you feel like you have elevated yourself to a point that you are over or that spiritually you are superior to other people so much so that you're not a servant of Christ. And for us as Christians, it's not great for us to remember first and foremost we're servants. That when we come to church or when we lead uh, any type of ministry or any type of leadership in the church that we are a servant first. Do you know what a servant uh, is responsible for? Is to serving the people and the kingdom. That when we come, it's not what they're going to say about me. When you come to church, it's not how someone's going to serve you. When you come and be a part of a ministry of God or a church, you don't say what's in it for me. No, you come as a servant and say, what is it that I can give? What is it that I can serve? How is it that I can minister to the body of Christ? And unfortunately, the longer people are Christians, sometimes the less they serve. And the more gifted people are, sometimes their heart of a servant is not quite so, uh, so strong. But Paul says, consider this. If you're a leader, if you're a pastor, if you want to uh, grow in your walk with Christ, first and foremost, you are a servant of Christ. And it's always great for us to remember that because when we're servants of Christ, we're not servants of man, right? We get messed up sometimes in our, in our, in, in our um, motivation to serve the Lord. I can remember uh, when I first started out teaching Sunday school and teaching, uh, uh, teaching the Word of God and different things, and first you start off so nervous and you start off so excited just to be able to share God's Word, and whoever will show up and whoever will do this, you always, you always was excited just to serve Christ. But then all of a sudden, once you have success or once you have what the world calls success and people start saying, that was great, or can we come and do this and can we come and do that? All of a sudden, you become not servant of Christ, but then you start to listen to man's praise. You start to going with popularity. You start going with, what is it? What can I do to make uh, more compliments? And it's an easy trap to fall into. And Paul's saying, that's what you're hearing. You're hearing from these false leaders and these teachers and these divisions in the church of a popularity contest. That, that these men are not servants, that these leaders are not servants of Christ alone. They are servants of man. And, and I think if we would look across the churches in America today or the Western civilization as we know it, we know there are a lot of churches built upon pleasing man. Um, we have whole network of churches set up called the seeker-sensitive church. Do you know what the seeker-sensitive church is? The foundation of the church is not to please or to glorify God. The foundation of the church is to please those who are seekers. 
those who are in your community. You take a poll, you find out who the majority of those people are, whether they're young, uh, if they're young, middle-aged, or old, you take that poll, whoever you have the most of with the most resources, that's who you cater to. If it's all young people, you cater to all young people. If it's all old people, you cater to all old people. And they, they, take, this, they take this process, and they're not servants of Christ, they are servants of man. And that's why sometimes when you go to church, you, you see churches that are all full and cater to one style or one group of people. But see, church isn't like that. Church is a family. Church is a body of Christ. I've said this before. You know, it, we all have a part. There, there's the head. There's the hands. There's the arms. There's the feet. There are those who serve. And if we're not willing to come and serve Christ and fit into our role, then what good is it? Like we need every group of people. We need every style of person to come in the body of Christ and not doing it to tickle the ears of man, but to serve Jesus Christ. And for you and for me, it's a great thing to consider, as Paul says, are we servants of Christ first and foremost? Why do you serve the Lord? Why do you come to hear uh, uh, God's word? Why do you come to church? Is it because you're a servant of Christ or because you're a servant of man? Paul says, don't listen to what you hear from them. You first and foremost, consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. It's interesting that word mysteries here. Uh, when you read through Ephesians and you read through Colossians and you read through some of these other uh, epistles that Paul write, writes, you realize the mystery was Jesus Christ. That in the Old Testament, and through the Jewish um, uh, upbringing, through the Old Testament, Christ was, uh, was hidden. Christ was one that was, uh, was veiled. But in the New Testament, when you come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's unveiled. That all the pieces of the puzzle comes together when Christ comes to the, uh, to the earth and dies on the cross. All of a sudden, the mystery is reveal revealed. God's revelation was not just through the Old Testament, but it's always been through Christ. And it is Christ who fulfills those things, and it's a relationship with Him that matters. And He said, that's the mystery we have, and we're stewards of those things. You know what a steward is? A steward does not own the message, right? He does not own something. He's just, a, he's just responsible for the resources of it. So what Paul is saying is that you're a servant of Christ, but you're also a steward. You've been entrusted with something that you need to share with the world. And it's the mysteries of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why when you are a Christian or you are a leader or you are a pastor, Paul is saying that we must share the word of God. We must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been given. That's what we need to steward. That's what we're going to be held responsible for. And how do we do it? Paul says in verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now that brings me great hope, right? Because when you think about the judgment seat of Christ, and you think about what Paul was talking about earlier as being a Christian, you're not going to be based upon your fruitfulness. You're going to be based upon what? Your faithfulness. That, that you may preach or teach or lead, or you may be in a home or a neighborhood, and you might share the gospel over and over and over again. You may never see any fruit. Just like we saw before, Paul said some plant, some water, and some harvest, right? But yet for us as Christians and for us as stewards, what is required? For we must be found faithful. We must be found faithful. Meaning that you have a servant and you are a steward and are you faithful? That's what's required. 
It's something wrong when someone says they believe in God, they serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but they never share the gospel. Would you not agree? It's something wrong when someone says we, we believe in the word of God, we are saved, but we never serve Christ. You never see them serving the body of Christ. Paul is saying that should be a red flag. Something's wrong with a person that could tell you all these things, but they're not serving and they're not stewards of the gospel. And yet for us as stewards, we are to be found faithful. And I think for us, if we, as we reason out this line here, as we reason out what Paul is reasoning here, sometimes in our own life, we judge things too soon, right? We judge things by what we see and how we perceive things. And that's what they were doing. These Christians were short-sighted. They were those who only saw what they could see with their own eyes. Paul was saying, if you pull back the veil, there's things that you don't even know that you're judging and you have no clue about them. He says, first and foremost, you got to be stewards and you got to be servants. But also, he says in verse 3, he says, but with me, and it is very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. So he says, uh, it's a very small thing that I be judged by you or a human court. You know, that's a nice way to say that I don't care what you say, <laughs> right? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you, you know who you are, and I know who I am, and what you say about me, I don't really care. It really does not bother me because Paul also says in, the, in his another letter that I am not a servant of man, I am a servant of God. That he had already decided he was going to please God and not man. And it didn't matter what man said about him. He says, even you, I don't care if you judge me. It's a little thing if you are judged by you or human court. In fact, I don't, do not even judge myself. He's, he's saying for me and what I think about the matter or what you think about the matter, it doesn't matter. It's what God says. It's what the gospel has said. It is what the Lord has said about you. And it's important for us to realize that because Paul had already explained to us the judgment seat of Christ. We talked a little bit about last week and a week before that, that we as Christians don't get a free pass for our service to the Lord. Like some people believe that you get saved and all of a sudden you have no responsibilities, you have no part in the kingdom, you have no obligation or no calling to serve the Lord. That it's over, that you, you're going to go to heaven when you die and that's all you need. And most people come to Jesus Christ and they have fire insurance, right? That, hey, I know I'm saved, but I don't want to serve the Lord. I don't want to be a steward of the gospel, but yet I still know I'm saved. I still know I'm going to heaven. That's all that I need. Paul says, no, that, that's not what, how you should see it. That's not how you should judge it. That's not how you or anyone else should think of those things. He's saying when you come before the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what matters, how he judges you. How he judges you in those things. And he carries on here and he says, By, by this I know, uh, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So he's saying, you or me, even though I can't find anything that I can judge myself by, it is not me who will justify myself, it is Jesus Christ. And I think for us, not just aside from what Paul is telling the Corinthians here, um, this is a good lesson for us to learn. Um, this Sunday, I'm going to talk uh, about marriage and talk about uh, you know uh, marriage life. Talk about how to fight fair, how to resolve conflict. All right. And, and so, it, it, when you think about how you uh, properly deal with conflict, um, this is a great important principle here. That when you're right before the Lord, it doesn't matter if people think that you're wrong. 
right? That, that if you know inside of who you are and standing before the Lord, you are right. It doesn't matter what man may say. That, that Christ himself or that God himself will judge those things. And for us to stand there before the Lord and be able to be pure before him is what really matters. That, that it doesn't matter what men may say. And I, I've seen this many times with people who become Christians later on in life. They're married to someone or they have friends in their family or they, have, or they have friends or they have family and they get saved. And all of a sudden they don't do the things they used to do. And what do people start saying? Oh, you're too good now to do that with us, huh? You think you're a Christian now, right? And you think you do this. And you think you're so much better than everybody else. And you think this and you think that. And they, they begin to attack and they begin to come against you. But yet, when you really know who you are before God and you know who you are in Jesus Christ, those things don't matter. Paul says, that's little to me. Those things that I even think and those things that you say against me, that means nothing, but it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore... Verse 5, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart that each, each one's praise will come from God. So Paul reasons his way all the way through this, and he says, therefore, judge nothing before the time. And, you know, sometimes it is difficult for us to not judge before the time, right? Because we, we want to do that. We, sometimes we, we want to judge what we see. But Paul is saying, don't judge what you see. He says, don't let the, the, not until the Lord comes. Let him settle the accounts. Let him settle who is true and who is right. And he says, when that happens, he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. So he's saying all the hidden motivations behind the reasons of the teachers and the false teachers and those behind all the things one day will be revealed. That one day all those things will be brought to light. One day everyone who's spoken false words against you, who has accused you of these things in the Lord and all these things, one day when Christ returns, all the hidden secrets, all the counsels of the hearts will be revealed, and then the Lord will make its judgment. And then, as he follows it out, he said, then each one's praise will come from God. I think for us as a body of Christ and for us as Christians in general, I think a lot of times we place value on a lot of things that we see and we devalue a lot of things we don't see. Like we see pastors or preachers who get up and preach or teach and we think that they're really serving the Lord, but we don't see people who are praying and people who are serving and people who love the Lord just as much. As we, we look to those things that we can see, but yet we judge people and we see things that are, are part of the kingdom. And, and what, what he's saying here is all those things that are behind the scenes and all those things that are hidden, one day they're going to come to light. And one day, all those who we thought who were so, uh, so true and serving of the Lord, when their hearts are revealed, you're going to see they were deceivers. That's what he was trying to tell them. These teachers, these false teachers, those who are causing divisions, they're not on your side. They are your enemy. They are against God and they are against the things of God. And that praise that you're seeking that day will come from God. So uh, Paul is nailing down this point over and over and over again. And, and, and he begins by saying the same old thing that we learned before. Remember, we studied this in James several years ago. And, uh, you know, we're coming up on our 14-year anniversary as a church. 
And uh, I'd never pastored a church before, before this one. And so when I started pastoring this church, it was all new experiences to me. And I was just thinking over some of the funny and not so funny experiences that I've had as a pastor, right? And I was sharing different things. And I remember one Sunday I was teaching about in James. Remember that? I was teaching in James. And in James, it talks about how the Jewish synagogue had got to the point that when a rich person would walk into the building, what would they do? Oh, he's got to be close to God because he has so much wealth and he has so much possessions that let's take him and seat him down at the front. But yet when a poor man would come in or a beggar would come in, guess what they would do? They would seat him in the far back or even push him outside because he was not, he, obviously he was not a servant of the Lord or he wasn't that close to the Lord because he wasn't blessed materially. He wasn't blessed with possessions. And so they were putting those who were, who, who were wealthy and those who had the things, they were saying, that's, that's godliness. If, if you're serving God, he's blessing you financially. He's blessing you with health. He's blessing you with wealth. And he's blessing you. It sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel today, right? But if you're not and you're slacking and you don't, and you don't have a, a great walk with the Lord, then that, that's why you're punished. That's why you're poor. That's why you're an outcast. And so they were taking the rich and bringing them to the front and taking the poor to the back. And I taught that for Sunday school. In our church, we used to have Sunday school in the same room. And so as we taught it for Sunday school, as soon as I got done praying over a lesson to have church, a homeless man walked through the back door of our church. <laughs> and I can tell you that was the first time someone had ever come to our church that was homeless. Now, we were in office condos and was kind of in the back of this building and was kind of two or three, probably three or four miles away from the highway. And uh, as he came in, he sit down on the back row. And I thought, all right, are we going to put our money where our mouth is? I just couldn't believe it. That I just preached this sermon. Just, I mean, just taught this Sunday school lesson. Just taught about those things. And so sure enough, as we got to talk to the guy, he told the story. He had come to the truck stop on 210. And the guy told him, he says, I don't know if anybody that would help you around here. If anybody would help you, it might would be Petra Baptist Church down there in the office condos. And so that's how he made his way down to our church. And so as he told us the story and he went through the process, as I said, we have a choice to make. Are we, going to, are we going to obey the word of God and look upon what God says, or are we going to look upon what man says? Because man says he was homeless, and he probably had an addiction, or he probably would take your money and do other things with it. He, all the things that you think of in, in your own mind, but yet through God's eyes, it's totally different. That's what Paul's telling him. Through, through what you see is, is what you say is not, is not what God says and not what God sees. And that's why it's important. And especially when we come to church. We never know what someone's going through with God. We never do. And a lot of times we make judgments. And a lot of times we tear down people. And a lot of things we say against people that we may not like us or may not be like us. But Paul is saying those things are foolish. Those things are immature. If you're a mature Christian, you come and you see the person who they are, and these things that you have, you judge them based upon content and not what you see, but what God will see. And you judge these things as you go through the process of, of who they are in Christ. And then he comes to verse 6 and he talks, about the, the, he talks about the apostles. He says, Now these things, brethren, I figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. That's interesting. That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. 
So he's saying that you're taking these things and you're acting like you're super spiritual and you're arguing with one another and causing division. So where does division and strife come from? It's puffed up. And verse 7, he says, For what makes you different from another? Or what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed receive it, why do you boast as you had not received it? So he's saying, if you have these things, they come from God. So why are you bragging about them in your own flesh? If you have these things and you have this knowledge or you have this understanding that you say that you have, then why are you bragging about it? Because knowledge comes from God and God is the one who gives it. So why are you bragging as, you, as if you attain something? So he's, he's reasoning with them how foolish it is. And he says, yet, verse, verse 8, he says, you are already full. You are already rich. You have already reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish that you did reign. And we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us the apostles last. And men's condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world. Both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. So what he's, he's reasoning out with them here, you think you've got it figured out and you say you're full and you say you're rich. Does that not sound like something else we've heard in Revelation chapter four when he talks to the church at Laodicean? He says, you're rich, you're full, you have all these outward appearance that you are alive and in Christ and serving the Lord. But us, we're poor, we're weak, and we have been made a spectacle to the world. They laugh at us. We are fools, but you are so wise in Christ. You are so blessed in Him. So Paul's kind of doing tongue-in-cheek here. He's saying, we are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, and we are dishonored. To the present hour which we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed, we are beaten, we are homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We, uh, we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of the things until now. So what he's saying is if the world likes you and the world and you're popular in the world's eyes, Paul is saying there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that because you can be full, you can be rich, you can have all these things that you have on the outside, but yet on the inside, you're not full of the Lord. You're not part of serving Him. You are not doing these things. And you look to us and say, we are so poor and we are so dismantled and we, we have been treated by the world as the scum of the earth. And listen, when you serve Christ, you should not be wanting to be uh, pleasures of the world, right? Like you should not want to be trophies of the world. That's why as a church, as a Christian, we ought to draw a clear line between what Jesus says and what the Bible says and what the world says. Like, like when we go through things and we have things and we have standards and we have convictions, it's not let's see how close to the world we can live and still be a Christian, it's not, let's be prosperous, let's be wise, let's be full of the world and let the man please, and, and please man and have the praise of the world. Paul's saying, no, you've missed it. We, we've been reviled, we've been persecuted, we've been attacked, and all these things you say are a disadvantage, but Paul is saying, this is an advantage because we serve the Lord. We're not, we're not of this world. So he, he works through his whole process to get them to the point to where he talks to them like a father. He says in verse uh, 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. So he's coming. He said, listen, this is not just to shame you. 
This is to warn you. This is to send an alarm to you. Isn't that what good Christian leaders should do? Isn't that what a pastor should do? Isn't that what a family uh, spiritual leader should do? Hey, listen, I I don't want to shame you, but I want to warn you. I I want to bring this to your attention. That, that, That you may have had, verse 15, a thousand instructors in Christ, but you only have one Father in Jesus Christ. That's Paul saying. And you know what the true Christian test of ministry is? Is love for the people. Paul is saying, you've had all, you got all the people with knowledge. You have all the people with all these uh, spectacular worldly things. But there's one thing I have that they don't have, and that is love. I love you like a father. I love you beyond everything else. I am like a father to you. And he's saying, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have begotten you or you have become my children. Paul calls them his children. Paul calls them his family. Paul calls Timothy his son. And he's saying, through knowledge is puffed up, and all these things are coming to you, but I will come to you shortly. And I know uh, of the word of those who are puffed up. Verse 30, he said, or 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You know, when we share the gospel and when we do ministry work, it's not done in how great we can do it. What is it done in? How great in, it is great because of the power of God. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says the proof is in the pudding, right? That even though I don't speak well, even though I wasn't the best or, uh, you know, person who would speak and the most flamboyant personality and the person that would be first on the popularity list, but when I did kingdom of God work, it wasn't just in word, it was done in power. And, you know, once you reason through what Paul says, it's pretty close, it's pretty easy to identify those who are mature in Christ and those who are not, right? Number one, are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Paul says if someone's leading you or being a pastor or being a leader and they're not a servant, that's a red flag. That's a red flag because you, every person who ever comes to Jesus Christ and serves in the body of Christ is a servant first. Paul says you're never too big to serve. And if people get to a point or someone gets to a point to where they feel like or they believe they don't have to serve because that's beneath them, then there's a problem with that. Paul says that's a red flag. Number two, Paul says if you you want the praise of man more than you want the praise of God in your life, you might need to check who you're following. And, you know, this is an easy one because we all want to be liked, right? I mean, we all want to be liked, but yet when you work in the Spirit of God and you do God's work, sometimes people are not going to like you. Sometimes you're not going to be the most popular person. Let me tell you, as a parent, if you raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you're not going to be the most popular parent, all right? You're not going to be the cool one. You're not going to be the one that's best friends. You're not going to be the ones that, but that's okay. You're not called to be popular. You're not called to be cool. Just like being a real Christian, you're not called to please the world. You're not called to please man. You're not called to tickle the ears of those who hear him. And listen, if you take a stand in your, at your workplace and you share Jesus Christ and you're a steward of sharing the gospel, there will be people that will not like you. There will be people who want to attack you. There will be people who say bad things about you. And, and it's just part of the deal. That's what Paul is saying. We are fools for Christ's sake. That, that we don't have the praise of man. We don't have the things of the world. But what we do have is we have love. Paul says he has love. And let me tell you, if you really want to know if you're serving God with a pure heart, it is it, do you love people? 
You cannot love God and not love people. And when you have love for people, then you have the true love of God. And you're not doing it for the fame. You're not doing it for the fortune. You're not doing it so you get some notoriety or popularity or recognition. You're doing it because you love people. That's what Paul says. You love people. And you don't fall for those things. And then lastly, he says, not only that, but you look to these things that are not puffed up. And as the Lord wills, you will be part of the kingdom of God, not just in word, but in power as well. When you share the gospel, there's power. When you mentor or you disciple people, there is power. And and, and when you do things in the power of God, you see God's power in your life. You see God's power in your prayers. You see God's power in his will. And Paul reasons all these things, and he throws in one last verse. We'll cover that one. It'll be done. It says, what do you want? He asked him, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Hey, what do you want? You want me to come with a rod and strike you down, or do you want me to come with love and in gentleness? He's, he's reasoning out with him just like, a, just like you would with someone who was a child or someone who was a teenager. Like, do you want me to give you a whipping, or do you want me to talk to you in love and gentleness? And when Paul comes to them, he's reasoning saying out. Now, chapter 5, he's going to go on and talk about the immorality and things that defile the church. But in chapter 4, he sets them up with it. And for us, it's a great challenge for us to remember these things and to think about what is the true gospel, what is the true meaning of being mature in Christ, and what, what is it when we judge other people. And I would have to say that probably one of the most difficult things is uh, judging other people. When we get to the point that we would rather judge someone than love someone, or we'd rather judge someone than to minister to them, then we have issues. And, and, and if we're looking for the praise of man rather than the praise of God, then we have issues. I, I can remember uh, Dr. Lindsay used to say, there's no way I could see everything and everyone who serves in our church. And that was a large church, lots of people. And he said, the pastor may not always see, see, but the master always sees. And you have to ask yourself a question. Are you willing to serve the Lord in obscurity? Are you willing to serve God in a point where you get no recognition? Are you willing to serve God in a point to where it's just motivated by love and by power of God? Because if you're not, Paul's saying that's what brings contention. That's what brings strife. That's what brings judgment. That's what brings a spirit of superiority and pride amongst the people. When you have that, when you have that, you don't have unity in the body of Christ. And that's what he was telling the church at Corinth. And so in our own life, that's what we need to think about and concern. Let's pray together.